Dr. Joel Hunter will bring us a message that's part of a 10-year process designed to develop Christian maturity. If you need further study or prayer, please feel free to call the church office. So now, let's begin. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's take just the first words of that first line and see how wonderfully connected and distinct they are. Our Father in heaven. How close, how far. Why would he bind those two concepts together? Our Father. So wonderfully personal. We in this day should know better than most the difference between a physical father and a father with whom we have a fatherly tie. We should know the difference between clinical progeny and children. In this day of Dolly, Polly, and Jean, those of you who love to read uh, your science uh, sections of the newspaper will recognize those names. Dolly was the first cloned animal, first cloned ewe lamb. Polly, not too far uh, behind her, was the first genetically engineered ewe lamb. Polly, not incidentally, has in every cell of her body a human gene. And the American entry that you heard about this week, gene. Please don't lose the pun there. Gene the calf cloned in this country. Now, there is a whole uh, sermon there by itself. Not all negative, incidentally, but I won't go there. I simply use it to say that all of us can recognize that God is a father to all creation in the sense that he gathered up the raw materials and put us all together. He knit us all together in our mother's womb. Therefore, every person has infinite worth. But there's another kind of relationship to a father, one that is special, and one in which Christians have entrance through Jesus Christ. It is, as, as you see described in Romans chapter 8, verse 15, in one verse it says this, for you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. Again, the Greek would afford this translation. You are no longer to be led as slaves. You see, with creation, with simple creation, with a simple gathering of combinations of protoplasm, we can do anything with that we want. It's simple creation. We're the creator. We can do whatever we want. But there's another, even more intimate relationship. You are no longer to be led as slaves, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons and daughters by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Abba is the Aramaic word for daddy. It's the, it's the, it's the little kid word. It's, it's the word for, like some of you grandparents have children that can't quite say grandma. Because they can come in nana. And you may be for the rest of your life nana. Because that's how you started out. 
You see, it doesn't encompass uh, all of who you are, clinically speaking. It doesn't even accomplish, uh, accomplish a, a, a genealogical relationship. It just, it just says, we're special. We're special here. Nana. And some of you grandpas are, you know, kids, bah, bah, bah. That's all they can come up with. But that is wonderfully intimate. Well, see, we don't address God all the time as Jehovah Rapha, our healer, or Jehovah Jireh, our provider, or Jehovah Elohim, God all-pervasive. Sometimes we just say, Daddy, you know why we can say that? Because through Jesus Christ, we've been adopted as his children. As his children. We have this wonderful emotional relationship, not just a clinical relationship. I hope we never fail to understand how important that is, that emotional relationship. I read a story not too long ago about uh, Greg Norman. I'll, I'll tell some golfing stories because I have this growing awareness of how important golf is in many of your lives, and so I just want to be one of their gangs, so I'll tell some golfing stories. <clears throat> but... Uh, Greg Norman was, was raised in a very strict household. His, his, his father was very, very disciplined, um, um, kind of mechanical man, which probably uh, indicates from where uh, Greg got his discipline for um, really developing the intricacies of golf. But Greg remembers his childhood, and he says, you know, there were times when my dad got off a plane or I just saw him for the first time in a while when I just wanted to run up and hug him. But she didn't do that with my dad. Well, last year at the Masters, Greg Norman carried uh, into the final round, uh, I, I can't remember, it was a seven or eight point, uh, eight stroke lead. And in that final row, round, blew that lead. And, and through a birdie putt, Nick Faldo won that tournament by one stroke. And after he had sunk that birdie, Greg Norman, ever the gentleman, walked across the green and trying to smile, offered his hand. But Nick Foldo is a hugger. You know, I like huggers. And Nick just wrapped his arms around Greg. Greg and Greg hugged him back. And at first, both of them were smiling. And then both of them were laughing. And then both of them were crying. And the next day, they asked, Greg Norman, why were you crying? Were you sad that you lost? Greg Norman said, no, I've lost a lot of tournaments. I'll lose a lot more. But I'd never been hugged like that from a man. Do we realize how important, how central our hearts are in our relationships to God? Do we realize how special, what another plane that puts us on to have that kind of intimacy with our Father? There's a, there's a, there's a special, there's, there's something here that science cannot imitate and technology can't uh, even uh, conceive of. Something specifically human. A little Whimsical. There's something here that, that uh, for those of you who are theologically uh, trained, uh, Calvinists try to ignore and, and uh, Arminians try to depend upon. Neither one of them is a good idea. But it is special to be able to love. 
spontaneously, just with your heart, and have that as your central connection. And so when we say our Father, he's very important. Our Father who art in heaven. Now here's the contrast. Hallowed, holy be your name. Holy means separate. It means someone totally other. Holy be your name or your nature. Name in scripture means your nature. It's who you are. You are someone totally different than I am. Now, why is it important to say that? Why is it important at any prayer to not just rush in and say, okay, God, this is what I need, but to say, God, you are so holy. You are so exalted. Why is that important? Because a basic rule of love is this. Take this down. If you Don't ever forget this. You will never complete, you will never successfully complete your love until you love them according to their nature, not according to your nature. You will never successfully complete your love toward another until you love them according to their nature, not according to your nature. That's why most men in this country don't have a clue when it comes to real. They never find out. You know, they just say, well, hey, I bring home money, don't I? I take the garbage out. What do you want? Took you to a football game, didn't I? What do you want? <laughs> you know, men a lot of times love according to what they think feels good. So do women. So do women. According to what they would like. But no, successful love is according to the other person's nature. Now, when we're talking about God, that means we must love him in holiness, not in need, not according to our nature, according to his nature. And so there is this, there is this, real need never to reduce God to the trivialized forms that we have. We have in this, we have in this culture what I call CB theology. Remember when, remember when CBs first came out and everything, everybody had a Western accent for a while. They did. Okay, hey, good buddy. You know, and we start talking about Jesus, my good buddy, my good buddy, Jesus. Oh, are you running with Jesus? Keep on trucking with Jesus. You know, and I, and, and I realize, I realize the desire I realize the desire for intimacy there. But listen to this. You never are truly intimate with God by trying to reduce Him down to your level. Ever. In the first place, you can't. You're loving not God, but your caricature of God. But in the second place, when we try to do that, we are cheating ourselves. We are cheating ourselves of the most wonderful other God. When we try to say, you know... Uh, uh, I love God, but, 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 you know, God really can't do much. I, when we read books like uh, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People, I don't know how many of you have read that book. It's comforting, but it's lousy theology. The book basically says, you know, God really identifies with you. He, forgive me for this, He feels your pain. But, you know, God can't do much. Free will and all, you know. Can't violate our free will. So He really can't do much for you. He's not omnipotent. Well, what kind of stupid God is that? Who goes, oh, I wish I could do something, but I can't. Sorry. What kind of incompetent boob is that? That's not God. That's our caricature of God. That's our reduction of God. When we have this God who we say, well, you know, he used to be real strict with morals, but <laughs> he loves us so much. I mean, you, you, you got you to gotta know that he came, he came, he's got to come off that because... Otherwise, 
So, so he, you got to understand that, 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 you know, fornication used to be a big thing. It's not a big thing anymore. I mean, God understands. He kind of grades on the curve, you know? And so, so you got to be flexible with this moral stuff. Do you really think that you want to worship a God who is only as high as the majority of morality of the people? Does a God like that exist? Only a God in our mind. No, God is holy. And, even, and, and, and we, we've got to understand if we reduce, if we trivialize God down to only our size, we cheat ourselves of the very strength that could lift us up. I was going by a pool the other day, and there were, there were two kids uh, who were trying to do what evidently their dad had done for them before. Only their dad wasn't there. He was probably working or something. And so you could tell, him, uh, tell that one day they had gotten in the pool, and the dad said, he said, step in my hand, and then I'm going to throw you over my shoulder. And so they, 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 they sailed over his shoulder. Now, these two little kids about the same size trying to do it with each other. Hey, Fred, Freddie, step in my hand. I'll throw you over my shoulder. And the kid stepped in his hand. And he goes, and a kid's chest went right in his face. They both went under. And I'm thinking, that's exactly what happens to the theology that reduces God to our size. If God is no more than we are, if he's more, no more strength than we are, he's of no help. It says, watch this. It says in Isaiah 57, 15, it says this. For thus says the high and exalted one who lives forever, whose name is holy. I dwell on a high and holy place. Watch this. And also with the contrite and lowly of spirit in order to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. Do you understand? The higher God really is and he is high, the more his power to help you to those heights, not to a little bit of improvement. And so therefore, we must recognize God is holy so we, we understand how high he can lift us up. But still, we must do what we are doing not for the improvement of our lives, but for the love of our Father. You know, when we first start out, in, in most of the time when we start out in Christianity, we're in a jam. And we're making promises. You know, we're in the bargaining stage here. Oh God, if you only help me out. So we're feeling the heat, and, and, and we're, going for, we're going for broke here. And then there are some others that progress, say, that, you know, no, I, would, I just really want to be a better person. And I don't want to sin because it gets me into jams, and it, it will improve my life, and I want to improve my life, and I want to be a good person. But the real mature reason for wanting a holy life is because we love a holy God. And we wouldn't hurt him for the world. There was a, a story I heard one time about a rich uh, father who had uh, sent his son away for a special kind of schooling and through various circumstances did not see that son for years and years. The father died suddenly and left his entire fortune to this son now many years older. And so the son came back to claim his fortune, but there was a problem because two other young men who claimed to be him also showed up, 
knowing that the executor of the estate would not remember enough what that boy looked like to tell the difference. So the executor of the estate said, you know, I, I, I remember one thing about this boy. I remember he was an excellent marksman with a bow and arrow. So we're going to have a little contest here. I'm going to set a portrait down by that tree. And I want you boys also to, uh, all, all to come as close as you can to hitting the heart of the person in that portrait as you possibly can. And so he proceeded to set a portrait of the father down there. And the first marksman got up. The arrow went straight into the chest. He was very happy. Second marksman got up. The arrow went straight into where the heart would be. He was very happy. The third marksman got up and took aim. And he burst into tears and he said, I can't shoot a portrait of my own father. Of course, the executor knew who the real son was. How many of you would go ahead and sin if it were simply your life? But you've been raised by someone who loves you, has poured their lives into you. Some of you have grandparents like this. Some of you have mothers or fathers like this. Some of you have Sunday school teachers like this. When it comes time to choose a direction in your life, and you have a real chance at choosing something that you know is sin. How many of you have said, if so-and-so knew about that, it'd kill her. I couldn't do that to her. Well, that is our holiness. Why would we ever do that to God? When we love Him, why would we do that to Him? Hallowed be thy name. And then it says, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we got to realize that the kingdom of God is something totally other than what we have, just like God is totally other than what we have. The kingdom of God comes not in word, but in power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, The kingdom comes not in word, but in power. There's an inbreaking of the rule of God in this world. And sometimes there are miracles. Always there is authority. And when Jesus came, there was the inbreaking of the kingdom of God. And what we realize is, that's what we need. Thy kingdom come, thy rule. See, this is Hebrew parallelism. Hebrew parallelism, you see in the Psalms, you see in the Proverbs. And basically, there, there are two lines together, very close together. And one either completes the other or contrasts with the other in order to make it uh, plainer. And so the second line here defines the first. Thy kingdom come. And what, what the definition is, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what it means. Thy kingdom come. Now, second part of this is not only exalting God, but knowing how badly we need that kingdom that is totally other in our life. Just that awareness. Jesus said this in, in, in John 18, 36. My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, I'd send my disciples to fight your soldiers so that, so that we wouldn't, we wouldn't, uh, uh, I wouldn't be delivered up to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. I don't have to convince us for very long that the world keeps getting worse and worse. Uh, all surveys are aware that everybody is, is, is afraid of the general morality of this world. 
the crime and the drug problem and, and, and everybody escaping responsibility for their own actions. That, that doesn't take much to convince us that there is this, this sinking of our culture. Robert Borg, uh, who almost became a Supreme Court justice, once wrote this, God's plan made a hopeful beginning. Man ruined his chances by sinning. We trust that the story will end with God's glory, but at present, the other side's winning. And that's exactly the feeling that most people have. So the natural human response to this is, well, maybe we can improve ourselves. And how do we improve ourselves? Well, we we create more regulations. We create more rules and we watch each other to make sure people are obeying the rules. That's how you improve yourself. That was the situation with the church at Galatia. So willing to go back into legalism. That's the situation in this country. How many new laws do we create every year? Just the federal regulatory agencies that don't create law, they just create federal regulations for how you can operate your business. There are 60, in this country, 60 federal regulatory agencies emitting, I like to use that word, emitting 1,800 new regulations every year. There is, in Washington, D.C., watch this, a compilation of the regulations for running things that is 130,000 pages long. Now, you would think after a while that people would go, why do we need all this regulation? Let's not have all this regulation. This is goofy. But there's no general outcry against this. You know why? Because we all think, well, we need regulation. And that'll, that'll get us better. But with all of the regulations and all of the new laws that are being produced every year, are we getting better? No, we're not. So there's this sense that there's got to be something totally other, totally higher than anything we could produce ourselves or anything that is in our own mind. You know what that is? That's the kingdom. Because the villain in this case is not a human being you can shoot down. It's our own sinking sense of morality. You know, I, I watch adventure movies. I like, I like adventure movies. And all of the villains in the adventure movies these days, and, and even in the cartoons, you know, you got the Mighty Morphin Power people, and the, and the, you know, you turn on and you, and you always see something looking like a gargoyle that's shooting lightning at things and blowing things up, and laser swords, and the, it's a very, it's a very villainous thing here. Well, the problem is we haven't got villains like that. We got villains like they had in my own day. We got problems, not villains. You know, the biggest problem, uh, let me give you a history lesson for you who aren't as, as old as I am. The biggest problem in the movies of my day was quicksand. That's the biggest problem. No, no, listen, do you remember, you remember watching Tarzan movies? You remember watching? Tarzan could take care of any human uh, foe. Any, any, any uh, renegade natives that got out of hand, any, any white uh, people that tried to, you know, come get him and, and shoot him up, he'd just, he'd just yell, and the elephants would come and stomp him. And it stomped their huts, stomped everything. Stomp, 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 stomp. They're all gone. <laughs> Tarzan could wrestle any crocodile. I mean, you remember those, you remember those scenes of underwater, he's stabbing the crocodile, and he's stabbing the and crocodile gone. Tarzan had no problems. Except every once in a while, he'd step in quicksand. 
and he'd be sinking. He'd have to look at his monkey. He would. Cheetah, give me a branch, will you? You want to give me a branch here? You know, cheetah would come over. You know, he could solve everything himself but quicksand. Same thing, you remember the Lassie movies. The, La- the Lassie shows. I watched, I watched this little Timmy every day, a little, little, little nice little neat kid, just like every regular boy. Um, <laughs> always freshly laundered, you know. And, and, and half the time, you know, every fourth episode, Grandpa was in the quicksand again. Could never figure this out. And, and uh, you know, the dog would come tearing up to Timmy. Roo, bark, bark, you know. And, and, and Timmy go, what's that, Lassie? <laughs> and, and the dog go, bark, bark. And he's, Grandpa's in quicksand again? I could never. And the dog go, bark, bark. Down by the old Miller's farm? <laughs> bark, bark. Three quarters of a mile down the road, turn left into the shady trees. And I, yeah, I know that spot. I'm thinking... <laughs> Who can, who can get that much out of a dog? You know, Rin Tin Tin and Rusty were the same way. I always wanted a dog like that. I always wanted to understand a dog. I'd go out to my wiener dog in the backyard tied to a clothesline. Hilda was her name, you know. Talk to me here. Never, you know, I, I kept wondering, what would I do if I fell in quicksand, you know, and turned to Hilda? Hilda, go get somebody. That stupid dog would just still be going like this. Why do dogs do that? You know, she wouldn't, she, she'd probably just go, where'd you put my dog biscuits? You know? <laughs> but anyhow, I digress here. Our problem is more like quicksand. It, it, it's, it's nothing we can particularly point out. There's nobody we can, we can jail. It's, it's us. It's the fact that we have disregarded God's no trespassing signs. From, when I went from my little town to another little town, uh, I remember a sign right near Plymouth, Ohio that said, no trespassing, quicksand. Man, I got the willies just going by that sign. I know what that is. You think I ever went past that sign? Absolutely not. I knew what happened with quicksand. You know, God in his commandments has put no trespassing signs all around. No trespassing. Do not commit adultery. No trespassing. Do not commit fornication. No trespassing, don't lie. No trespassing, don't steal. No trespassing, honor your father and mother. Don't, no trespassing. And you know what? We have to work to go around those things. And then we sink. And the only thing powerful enough to pull us out is the inbreaking of the kingdom of God that is higher than we are, that pulls us out. But it's not just that God pulls us out of the miry clay, as the Word says. It is also that while we are here, our job is not just to avoid evil, it's to do good. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Do you think we spend a lot of time, we're going to spend a lot of time in heaven trying to avoid evil? Of course not. There's not going to be temptations up there. We're not going to be going, oh, I really shouldn't eat that chocolate eclair. Oh, I really want to. We're not going to be up there doing that. This is, we're, this is worship time. We're going to be with the Lord. We're going to be just loving head over heels, crazy nuts in love. This is great. To... And so that's what we have a chance at down here. We're going to be serving one another. That's what we have a chance at down here. It's not just about not doing bad. It's about doing what Christ would do. It's about having that nature. 
One more story, then I could. I, I saw a, or heard a story the other day about a, a sailor who was on a ship, and he saw this other sailor kind of leaning over the, leaning over the rail, looking at the ocean, and he thought he knew who that sailor was, so he went back, went up to him, and smacked him. I mean, cracked him hard. And the sailor stood up and turned around. It was the admiral. And the sailor just started whimpering right there. And he said, I'm so sorry, sir. I thought you were my friend George. The admiral looked at him and said, well, I'm glad it wasn't George. I wouldn't want you to hit George that hard. (laughs) There's the character of true authority. I'm glad I suffered instead of George. That's what we have a chance at. God, if there's there's any work to be done to serve, let me do that. If there's any if there's any way I can I can stand in, in George's place and, and help him out instead of him having to do all this by himself, let me do that. That was the character of Christ. And so as we pray, we exalt God, we recognize our need for that which is not of this world. And we pray it for ourselves. Pray with me now. God, thank you that you are not subject to our trivialities of you, our character caricatures of you. Thank you that you remain by your very nature, the God that is so holy and so high and so lifted up, so that you can help the lowly and the contrite of heart. That would be us. Lord, we know... We live in a world full of quicksand. And we know that a lot of us spend a lot of our time saying to ourselves, how in the world did I get myself into this mess? And so, God, we not only exalt your holiness, we pray for you to come and pull us out because we recognize our need of you. And we ask you, Lord God, just one thing, that as you pull us out, you would give us the nature of Christ so that we could turn around, extend our other hand, and ask anybody if they want to come with us. We pray in His name. Amen.